Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast, brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with David Campbell of Sugar CRM about MarTech simplification. Uh, MarTech's been huge over the last, what, decade plus, I'd say, and uh, David's the vice president of product marketing over at Sugar CRM. He's got over 30 years of experience in software, technology, product marketing, and uh, has successfully conceived, developed, launched, campaigned, if that's a word, run campaigns for <laughs> uh, multiple industry-leading products, services across a variety of markets. David, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Sky. Happy to be here. So Sugar CRM, I'd say you guys are one of the, the uh, central clusters of CRMs, which is probably the central MarTech, and uh, that, that everything is foundationally built off of nowadays uh today's topic martech simplification um what do you what do you want to cover in in that area what's uh what do you want to focus on here sure um well sugar's sugar's been around for a while as you know um we were one of the original ones particularly when crm went cloud um but i'd say over the last three years we've really been focused a lot on making the uh, experience of customer experience easier um, so really trying to remove a lot of the roadblocks and pain and uh, um, blind spots that typically happen with CRM systems, uh, trying to remove those from the experience. And so some of the things we've been working on lately have been focused on marketing automation in particular. So uh, would love to talk about that today. Excellent. Marketing automation. Um, we definitely want to get into that's when you talk about pain points. I think when marketing automation was first named, marketers all said, oh, thank God, because these CRMs are such a, it, it's like you were given an early automobile with all these gears and levers and stuff and told, now go drive it. And then they heard the word marketing automation and thought, now it's going to be easy. And then they saw what it was and said, oh my God, how did they make this this much more complicated? I got to go, it's like, it's like a full-time job to try to understand how this stuff works. Oh gosh, yes. And I would argue that in CRM, it's even worse because, you know, the original value proposition of CRM was very management focused. Put all your data in here, have it, get it off the post-it notes that are pasted around your display. And then Mr. Manager, you can have all these reports and know where your customers are at and how your sales processes are going. And meanwhile, poor reps are having to enter all this data and keep it up to date. And, and it's, it, it got to be just a maintenance nightmare. I think like all technologies, um, marketing technology was, it was sold partially on the, this is going to make your life easier. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to be able to do all these things you couldn't do before. And it's going to make your life easier. But for the first decade plus me, I mean, every technology has its own life cycle, but it hasn't made life easier at all. It's made the job more difficult. Now, maybe you could do more, but it's also an arms race because so could your competitors. So you weren't really gaining anything, just losing time. I, I think that's actually really a good observation. But I, 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 would, I would say that most inventions, despite what they claim, don't make your life easier. They just make you responsible for more. You know, I mean, every great invention almost does that with the one notable exception of the toilet. That one probably, that's about <laughs> the same. Plumbing, yeah. <laughs> plumbing did definitely helped. That, that was a real benefit. I'll, I'll give uh, I'll give that technology one. I, I wanted, actually wanted to install a toilet in my backyard and train my dog to use it. And the trainer said, yes, you can do that. And now I'm thinking, okay, we're getting a new dog this time. This time we're going <laughs> to have a backyard toilet. But my wife said, no, we are not installing a toilet in the backyard. <laughs> um, so anyway, a little sidetrack there. Back to MarTech. MarTech and simplification, which is a word everybody loves to hear that uses MarTech. Our audience are all marketers, small business owners. When they hear simplification, great. But the MarTech landscape, every year they come out with this new landscape. And now it used to look like a little grid. And now it looks like some sort of Lord of the Rings map of <laughs> the, you know, their fantastical world. Um, and they're just smashing more and more marketing technologies in there. Is there good news for marketers in this? Is the word simplification, what is that going to mean for them now? Oh, uh, okay. Well, when, when I use the word simplification, I mean a little bit different thing, but let me ask you, let me answer the question you're actually asking, which is, you know, this landscape is incredibly 
I mean, it's like what eight thousand vendors now? It's it's ridiculous. That, yeah, that was last year's uh, count was eight thousand plus. They just kind of rounded it and said, and then <laughs> and they're probably only counting half of them. I mean, yeah. Well, if it's like every other market since the history of markets, it, it, it will consolidate, and that's the good news eventually. But but consolidation also has its own set of pains, right? So, um, <laughs> good and bad news, I suppose. Uh, in our case, when we talk about simplification, we're looking at, okay, you've got these tools. And like you were mentioning, marketing automation hasn't necessarily made things easier. We're looking at ways in which we can take a lot of the tedium and manual effort involved in these processes and trying to apply smart technology to it. Anywhere where there's, where there's you know, an, an enormous amount of manual effort, you know, that there should be a light bulb that goes off over, you know, innovators' heads that says, hey, this is a good candidate for real automation. Right. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, we say the MarTech landscape's exploding, but I looked up a couple numbers. Um, 8,000 plus, yes, but it's got an eight, almost 9% churn. So there's a lot of companies mm -hmm. constantly dropping out. And when I look at it, I say the overall numbers are increasing, but it's really easy to write software that does one little thing here and there or integrates two things or connects or adds one function to something. And how many of these MarTechs are foundational and how many are little connectors between this and that or add-ons? It seems like most of the new MarTech now is probably actually simplifying things or you know, making something easier. The, all the integrations are huge. When you had all the MarTechs and they were all their own disparate little things, and it was like, now I have to take all this and somehow get it over there. And then like now the marketers, half their job was transferring information from one MarTech to the next. Right. Once right. everything's integrated, talk about simplification. Um, you know, that's, that was a huge thing for me. When I started seeing things integrate, I said, thank God, the integration. We don't have to be porting things around constantly. But also, you guys are foundational. You've been around since like the beginning of MarTech, a couple other companies, and then just the nature of a CRM. That's just the foundational technology. I don't, you could argue a couple other Martex maybe that are foundational, but it seems like everything branches from the CRM. I don't think there's new CRM companies joining the landscape, really. Not that anyone's going to hear of. They may try, but it seems foolish. Like that's kind of the foundation is set. Uh, totally, totally agree. I mean, we've been in this market almost from the beginning. And let me tell you, anybody who's thinking about it, <laughs> this is a tough market, right? I mean, um, yeah, there's a lot of very formidable competitors in, in this market. Um, and I, I think that's also partly why uh, there are so many different class, classifications of solutions, because people are trying to find their own niche where they can carve out for themselves and create their own market around uh, and, and either, you know, make that a big successful business or become a, a good candidate uh, for acquisition by one of these core solutions. Right. Yeah. I think, again... If you're thinking of joining the MarTech landscape, starting something, writing some code, don't go into the CRMs. Don't go into any of the major spaces. Like those are <laughs> really saturated. But all of the major core MarTechs have marketplaces, have integration um, marketplaces where people create things that plug into them and those add value and typically simplify. So like all other industries, usually the new industries come up and they are solving a problem within the foundations of the industry, within the large companies, one little thing they aren't doing. And they just say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll fix this problem that they have or this pain point their customers have and, and integrate with them to solve that. And that's really where I think I see all the, the explosion in MarTech continuing is, is and companies that are going to enter the space and be successful are kind of handling the simplification, handling the pain points in applications that as hard as you guys try, there's still customers still have some pain points and other people can step in due to these marketplaces and help with those sometimes. Yeah. It, it's interesting. You've, you've said a couple of times that um, about the power of integration. And I think when you have an ecosystem with so many different pieces solving so many individual problems, you know, the way in which you define your success going into that ecosystem is the degree to which you can be adaptable and you can be, uh, and you can integrate with other pieces in that system. Uh, if without that, you're kind of, 
it's a, it's going to be a hard road to hoe. But yeah, well, you're left behind now. Create something that's yeah. a standalone island in Martech now, and people look at it and like, I don't know, does it integrate with my this, 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 and this? Because if not, I have other, there's other options. Great thing about a huge landscape. There's other options. There's competition. So the products keep getting better. And the consolidation is really competition having the, you know, we're, we're watching the, um, the NBA playoffs and this is, we're consolidating down to find out what's best for the, for the customer kind of. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, let's, let's uh, get over to this, um, this topic of MarTech simplification again marketing automation being a huge part of that. We kind of mentioned it, but let's dig in. Obviously, Sugar CRM, and for the listeners, yes, we don't usually talk directly about the product much, um, but very relevant in this uh, in this particular episode. So we're going to be um, wanting to use, uh, and David, I hope you don't mind if we use Sugar CRM as the example most of the time. Um, well, I usually mind, but uh, we'll, we'll let it slide this time. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so, Marketing automation in Sugar CRM. Can you talk to kind of like what's going on with marketing automation now? What's making it simpler? What are you guys doing? And I'm sure other companies doing, but for the marketplace, but with Sugar CRM, how are you guys making marketing automation more customer friendly? Right. So, um, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at, there's plenty of opportunity to make marketing automation a lot simpler. Where we've been focusing our lens is really on, on lead scoring. So what we found with our customers, and I, I think this is really common, um, lead scoring is more of an art than a science. Um, and if you think about the way it's done, right? I mean, you, you, you go and you try to calculate a point score based on a set of attributes and or a set of behaviors that a lead goes through. You assign points to those particular attributes and behaviors, and then you run through all the leads that you have, and you tally up the scores for each lead, and that, that gives you a stacked rank um, you know, um, set of leads. And then immediately someone in sales says, that shouldn't be that score. <laughs> and you have to go back exactly. and look through all of your, I think Einstein said uh, lead scoring is relative. That was his quote. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, when the famous marketer, um, so what, what we've tried to do is, is focus some of the newer technologies that we've acquired actually in the marketplace. Another advantage to having a very crowded marketplace is you can acquire technology. Um, and we're, we're doing predictive lead scoring now. So, so the, basically the idea then is, um, we take all the information that a company has past, present and, uh, perspective leads, right? And they're marketing relevant behaviors, what they're doing on the website, that kind of thing. And then we also augment that internal information with information about those contacts, about those companies that they represent. We augment that with data that we source, you know, uh, external to the company from different data providers. Uh, and then we point our pointy AI head <laughs> at that data in order to try to find the attributes and activities that actually had a measurable impact on historical lead conversion. Now, when you right? say AI, are, are you talking about for lead scoring AI or is it more machine learning? In other words, is the end user saying, yes, this was the right result. And then it's learning from that. Um, or how, how is it, how is it learning or is it learning? Uh, it is, it is learning. The way it's learning, we don't take the end user's word for it, actually. What we do is we, we look at all the leads that successfully converted to qualified leads that we passed over to the sales to the Salesforce automation uh, solution, right? So all we look for, I mean, the, the win is a successful conversion of a lead to a qualified lead. Uh, and then we look at all the attributes um, up around those leads uh, as well as the activities that they did. And we compare those to the successful conversions in the past. And we look for trends and alignment. And then we also look at the things, the set of activities and attributes that seem to have the strongest correlation to conversion. And we score those higher. And then we continually do this over and over and over and over and over again, so that the model is always using 
the latest information and the latest learnings about what's actually correlating to successful conversion. Right. Um, it seems like the best use of AI is that that kind of thing saying we got to look at a lot of data and people want to think AI is going to do all these different things. But really, when you have all these data points, something like scoring, and it can say, let's look at these things and let's look at what the outcomes are. Because now you have these humans touching the spot saying, we accept the lead, the deal closes, how much it closes for, all these things that are automatically in the system. And you can have the AI kind of automate your automation a bit or the scoring, which is going to be part of your automation. It's, it's making that so you no longer have a person doing the, you know, I remember manual machine learning with spreadsheets where you're tweaking little things and saying, what if we adjust mm -hmm. this and take an equation? What if we adjust that? But just a human is not going to be able to adjust all those points. It becomes a scoring disaster. AI, no problem. It like, it doesn't care. Yeah. And in fact, in most cases, like in, in a traditional lead scoring model, they're not going to go back and, and do all that. So what they do is they go by gut feel. They say, I think this is what leads to conversion. Right. And, and then over time, if they're really good, they learn about what's working, what's not, and they adjust their models. This is continuously self-adjusting, and it's all based on data and what the correlations show in the data. Uh, so, it's, so it's never gut feel. That's awesome. So the Basically, you have lead scoring that's just kind of done, like it's done for you. You just get this lead score. Mm -hmm. Are there dials that the person can tweak or do you just get a score and now that's relative? You have to think of what it means to you. Uh, so what we're doing now, it's all automatic because the exact set of attributes that we evaluate change depending on the company, right? Which is not surprising. So what we do, and this is one of the epiphanies we had in doing this is, when, when it's sort of like magic and you don't really know how it works, there's going to be a lot of skepticism about the results you're producing. So we did two things. Well, three things. One, we embedded it into the marketing automation platform. So it's just a feature. It's like, it's like Siri on your phone. It's just mm -hmm. there. Um, we don't make it this separate platform. And then the second thing we do is we give the results in a very simple to understand way basically like more likely, medium likelihood, less likely, just we categorize it. And then, and I think this is the most important thing to getting marketers to trust the technology, we give you sort of progressive disclosure about how that score was, was developed. So you, you double click on your more likely and you say, well, okay, it's more likely because it had these four factors and they compared well mm. to leads 80% that that, 80% of the time converted successfully. So it's not really a so, black box. It's, it's like a gray box kind of. You're letting them see a little bit so they aren't confused. Why do I have this number in front of me? This doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's like the uh, the clear crystal on the back of your watch. It shows you the mechanical mechanism working, I guess. <laughs> so um, do you take into account the sales, different salespeople and their successes? For instance, if if leads of a certain type get funneled to one salesperson and that salesperson's really good, then it's going to make those seem like they are a higher score relative to a not so good salesperson that's getting other types of leads. Maybe they're, they're vertically separated by industry or something like that. So do you take into account the, the general close rate of a, of a salesperson? So you don't have really good and bad people skewing the, uh, the scoring. Now, right now, what we're doing is sort of overall uh, conversion rate. Uh, so it's blended in your, your kind of bound. You're, you're averaging out the good and the bad people. That, that has its own set of problems, right? Right. Uh, especially if you have outliers who are really skewing it one way or the other, right? Um, but uh, that's the way we're doing it now. But there's other ways, too, to close it off, too. So you can, you can limit the evaluation to not what closes a sale, but just what conversion of a lead to a to a qualified sales lead right oh, so, so it's not closed yet so that's where they don't have dials on on what the scoring is but they do have a choice on what is used as the kind of the uh the the metric of success yes yes there's some there's some simplified controls over that awesome
because then marketers are thinking how much more time in my day is this going to make me use? And you're saying, no, no, no. The whole point of all what you guys are doing, what all MarTech is doing now is actually reducing the time you're working on these things. That's right. That's right. Awesome. And then uh, I guess something that's it's slightly off topic, but it, it'll lead back here. Um, marketing and sales. They're always arguing over everything. And uh, <laughs> a, a, I guess a, an informal poll we've been doing here or an unofficial poll. Do you believe marketing works for sales or sales works for marketing? Mm, that's very interesting. Um I think it kind of works both ways. It's like a virtuous cycle, right? I mean, a truly strategic marketing organization that does product marketing really well. And as a product marketer, I, I, I have strong feelings about this. They should be identifying opportunities for sales where that increase sales likelihood of having success, right? And so in that, in that sense, they are leading sales. Um, but uh, Now, are they leading sales I mean, or working for sales? Because they're feeding sales. That's where it says, who's uh, who? <laughs> I, I, I guess the best leaders are servant leaders, right? Um, yeah. uh, I, that's interesting. I would say, I would say they're, if it's really done well, you know, you, you want to trust, you want to trust experts to identify the very best opportunities and the ones who have the time, skills, resources, and charter to go identify those new market target opportunities. And so in that sense, they're leading. Uh, I also feel like there are, marketing is also a support organization because they do in fact, you know, provide leads into, their, into sales. They are at the very top of the funnel. Um, and the, the quality of the work impacts sales. And from that standpoint, everything they do is in support of sales. So, so I, I do think of it as a virtuous cycle. Like the manager that will, and I remember this being like, I want a manager that will get me coffee when I need it. Cause I'm on a call <laughs> and I need like, okay, don't like, don't give me too much instruction and all that stuff. Give me coffee. That's what I need right now. And to help me <laughs> right. my job. Um, okay. Excellent. So, and then that, that comes back to the CRM and back to um, back to the MarTech simplification here of saying, okay, does sales like this simplification? Does it ma even matter to sales or is this really something that makes marketing's job easier? Uh, I think it's at the point uh, that, that we've talked about it, it's really, sales doesn't care. All they care is about is volume and quality. If I, and if I get both, that's really awesome, right? Um, so this is a tool that helps marketers produce both volume and quantity so sales is happier but they don't that they only benefit it benefit from it indirectly because they're getting more leads and they're better quality leads right but in this specific example of the the lead scoring um and i'm sure this kind of applies across a lot of different areas in martech and in crms in this example marketing one of the big fights they used to have is marketing would say it's a marketing qualified lead and sales would say it's not qualified so you'd had sales qualified leads so they both had their own like is it good or not and one would always say good and the other would say bad so that they had an you know excuse for why they failed kind of type situation but if it's taken out of marketing's hand now sales doesn't have marketing to blame anymore on the other side it's if it's taken out of marketing's hand now marketing can't just call something marketing qualified if if sales keeps disqualifying them those types of leads are going to quickly no longer pass yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, the, the thing that it can't fix is a dysfunctional organization. <laughs> but, but um, you know, at my own company, we have our own sort of squabbles every once in a while between marketing and sales. And so, you know, we, our fix was to insert, you know, that there's a marketing qualified lead, but that doesn't mean it's a sales accepted lead. They can reject right. a marketing qualified lead for a number of different reasons, and then it becomes a no longer qualified lead. And so then we start looking at the conversion rate of marketing qualified leads to sales accepted leads. And if it's not very high, then we start investigating why. It seems like everything works smoothly until you insert humans into it. 
and then, <laughs> and then yeah. you have problems like the software is designed to run we got the ai we got the automation thing going we got the automatic scoring and then you added a human into the mix and ruined it all yeah that that's kind of life in a nutshell i guess w one thing that's really cool though and it, this kind of you know as a human being myself <laughs> i have uh, you know AI, in some ways, I, I always want to think that, that human beings always have the leg up on AI. Uh, and one way in which we've discovered that they do is, is the AI, there's no intuition there. Um, if it's not represented in the data in some way, the AI, it doesn't exist in terms of the AI. Whereas, you know, um, a really smart salesperson, a really smart marketer is going to be aware of really recent changes in the marketplace that might not be reflected in the data yet that they still want to account for when they're qualifying the lead. So, right. so we have, we have to have ways of working with that and not losing that element because you don't want to just take your hands completely off the steering wheel. Well, and also if it is represented in the data, then AI is going to take it into consideration. Whereas a person might be able to look at it and say, something's not right here. Like AI just yeah. keeps driving wherever. It doesn't matter if it drove into a wall. It doesn't matter. It's only taking in the inputs it's programmed to take in. And it is taking in all the inputs. So if you have, again, a salesperson that decides to uh, start marketing, marking all leads as, as no good that it gets for a certain industry, just because it doesn't like calling into that industry, the AI is going to start calling those leads out. Maybe that's a really profitable industry for the company. This guy just you know, sucks. It <laughs> doesn't like calling those people, has a personal grudge on them. Uh, so, but a sales manager can look at it and say, something doesn't make sense here. There's a, right. Uh, you know, th these leads are all, and we'll notice it's one account manager is, is um, throwing a stick in the spokes here. So yeah, humans. So as much as we talk about AI, it's great. It's a nice assistant. It can crunch big numbers that we don't want to have to do in all these spreadsheets, but the, the human part, is uh, still always there. Unfortunately, I guess that's simplification. If we could just get it down to the point where all we have to do is go have a pina colada and AI runs everything, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Um, so the simplification of, and there's the MarTech landscape, but again, let's talk about simplification of a, one MarTech, using sugar as an example. Um, what else are you guys doing? You have the lead scoring, that's nice. That takes all this messing around with lead scoring. Any marketers that's dealt with that knows how much time and energy you can spend. And then one salesperson blows it up, um, trying to get good lead scoring in place. What, what, what else is going on within your CRM as an example of, uh, with, with the simplification of, of the MarTech? Sure. So another thing that we've been working on with, this isn't in the, in the product yet. This is, this is something we're, we're, I would say we're in deep research on is, is the way I'll put it. Um, what would be around segmentation? So if I'm, if I can use this technology to qualify these leads based on historical conversion, then I can also use the, the same AI technology to divine what the attributes of the ideal customer profile are. Not the ones I think are, because that's usually what it represents. It, it's some guy like me who thinks he knows, but maybe I, he has the data, maybe he doesn't. Well, I did that back in the, we, we installed Sugar years ago. I was running the sales team and then the marketing team. So I had this crossover and uh, we didn't have ideal client profiles. So I was like, okay, mm -hmm. let's look at the data. Who are we actually, because we, we put a CRM in place. So now we didn't have a bunch of disparate spreadsheets with a couple of scrawled notes from a sales account manager. Um, and I looked at the accounts and said, here's all the, here's who we're targeting. Here's who we're sending stuff out to just this mass general blob. We're a data company. So we have the information. We just weren't using it. We weren't segmenting. Um, and then we looked at what deals are actually closing. And it was like, oh, wow. Like only 10% of who we thought our target audience was, is really our Excellent. audience. And we have the information. We can very easily now focus on these. In fact, we can chop them into a couple distinct groups of, of people in much more accurately market them. Not only that, reduce the friction in things like outbound email campaigns to just completely people who are never going to close. Yeah, that, that is the perfect example. Um, and, and, and what's interesting to me is that, you know, in, in your business of being, you know, a, a data provider, we're actually using that on the back end. I, it, like a, a lot of companies, what they do, they, 
they, they get a data service and they use that to augment their CRM. What we're doing is we're using it to augment our training data for the AI. And, and this is a wonderful thing because all of a sudden, you know, no, no company collects all the information that might be relevant in determining whether somebody is a good target, right? But there's a lot of third-party services like your own that provide a wealth of data, right? That is going to consider elements that that most companies aren't even thinking about. It's not even on their radar. Right. So if we if we focus our AI in that and include that augmented data, we can identify trends and correlations that otherwise would be completely invisible to the company. And that's pretty exciting to me. So you're kind of undarking data. I mean, there's this dark data segment where there's mm -hmm. all this information that's just not even looked at. And you're saying, hey, our AI can actually look at that and extract some, you can find out that you guys never sell anything in North, North Dakota. You don't know why, but you never do. Here's why your number one competitor's headquarters are there and they just have saturated the area maybe. Um, they invite the whole state to their barbecue and you, you can't compete with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and it's, yeah, to me, that's really exciting. That's like, that's like kind of, um, that's Karnak level things, you know, uh, that to me is really impressive. So it seems like saving time when you consolidate, when you simplify, reducing friction and kind of reducing marketing waste, both the time and the you know, again, the wasted outreach um, of to people who are never going to be responsive, aren't interested, that kind of thing. Uh, absolutely. And the one I would add on there is because a lot of this stuff is so data intense, a lot of companies just don't do it. And so they do a crap job. And so we're, we're able to actually improve the performance and predictability of these organizations um, so, so it's beyond just like labor saving. It's like, it's like productivity gains because they're doing something that would otherwise right. not get done. Well, a larger competitor might have hired three people to handle that task Right. <laughs> to do. They have somebody managing lead scoring and a couple other marketing operations, things and stuff like that. And suddenly now the smaller competitor just has sugar CRMs, AI lead scoring and other functions. And you're able to compete without all hiring those other people. Um, I'd always felt that the job of our company as a data company was to try to get rid of as many marketing operations jobs as possible because so much marketing, those are basically jobs created to try to handle the extra work created by MarTech, by things not integrating, things not working the way they should. Now you have to have somebody whose sole job is managing this cluster F. Uh, on one level, that's that that's absolutely true. I, I don't imagine it made it into your sales pitch, but <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sorry, there wasn't a question mark at the end of that. So, but you'd mentioned deep research. You guys are in deep research on on this new function. Anything else you can disclose on uh, on that? Yeah. So we we focused um, RAI kind of on these more. Um, I would call them sort of predictive kind of capabilities. I predict this lead is more likely to close than this other lead. I predict that the, these target vertical segments are good targets for you. Um, we're also uh, working on applying AI to our omni-channel capabilities. So, so things like, they're, they're real common now. I'm, I'm sure you and your readers have read all about this, but you know things like sentiment analysis, um, different kinds of analytics you can do um, on different kinds of conversations that, that, that occur or, or in chatbot where you're automating a conversation with an artificial, you know, being on the other side. We're, we're also doing those, those things. Um, but our real claim to fame right now is really focusing our AI on predictive capabilities. I, we've had, uh, we had a guest on talking about AI um, episodes ago. And one of the things he brought up was that early on AI, they had a lot of advantages in that there wasn't, they didn't have data privacy laws that had siloed all this data. So they were able to, this, this AI was able to take in so much more information. And now we just had a guest on talking about first party data, second party, third party, and what they're calling zero party data. And it occurs to me that on one hand, data privacy may, might hamper your AI because at some point, you're going to want to reach out and pull in data for this segmentation for all kinds of things. And the, there may be laws put in place that prevent it, but CRM is the first party data. So 
you may have the largest AI advantage in building useful AI things in that you don't really have to worry about the first party data being affected by the, um, the data privacy laws. So your AI is probably safe, but are you guys worried about data privacy messing with what you've created? First off, I want to compliment you on that question because that's a, that's a really good question um, that kind of gets to the heart of a lot of different matters. Um, we are, in fact, like super concerned and we did, we did quite a bit of deep research from a legal standpoint on, on what we could do, especially since we're using technology that augments that internal data set with externally sourced data. And the way in which we use it, we only use it for the, for the analysis and we never expose that third party data. We don't even expose the internal data to any, anybody else. The only thing you see really are this lead is more likely than this other lead to, to convert. And these are the factors that we considered in that, but we never actually show you what, what the data is, the actual data of right. value is. So there's no personally identifiable information that ever gets exchanged. But if we had a, a law in the U.S. like GDPR, it would probably really hamper some of some of the stuff, even internally. That I mean, that law is so restrictive. Um, depending on how you interpret it, some companies just say, "Hey, it doesn't apply to us at all because this is business, not personal." But uh, <laughs> they they go the full uh, Godfather approach to it. Um, but with a law like that, I mean, it would definitely put up some walls in some places. So I guess my message here is saying, "Hey, government, don't." put up these walls and limit businesses and what they can do. It, it would, it, you want to consolidate MarTech past GDPR in, in the U S and watch how many of these companies disappear the next day. Yeah. It, it, that would be a huge problem. In, in our case, we do a, a great deal of our business in Europe uh, and by carefully managing who you expose that data to, we are able to stay in compliance with, uh, with GDPR, um, um, so on, on the flip side of that, you guys are a foundational MarTech and you are already cemented in as one of these core MarTechs that so many other things are built on top of. Does GDPR in Europe kind of build a little extra moat around you in that it makes it that much more difficult for a new company to come in the space when they have this hurdle of they'd have to figure out how to deal with GDPR? Uh, definitely. I mean, it's another... You know, it's another facet of the the business environment that you would have to deal with. There's there's no no doubt about that, and and especially today, you know, because we've even become over the last year, you know, more distributed in the way that we do business. Um, you can't avoid it, even if you think you're a U.S. only kind of entity. You all you, you can't avoid it because you'll be dealing with. Uh, customers and such that aren't in a bdb world anyway the internet leaks everywhere these european yes. people just start showing up on your website causing problems by their presence <laughs> <laughs> all right a handful more things to get to here i want to take a quick break though uh we've been we've been talking with david campbell of uh of sugar crm and uh we're talking about martech simplification we'll be right back Hi, I'm Ziv from dailycookie.co and what we do is we offer you a way as a tribe leader, as a business owner to communicate with, with the people in your email list, with your tribe and, and nurture the relationships with them so that you don't always come to them when you want to sell. You're actually uh, already warming them up over time. These nurturing sequences of emails are being written by professional copywriters. They are copy edited and proofread for you and they are researched especially for you even create a quarter plan all for a flat fee with unlimited emails and you can check it out if you want uh, your emails to be written for you any sequence whatsoever at dailycookie.co welcome back to the if you market podcast we have david campbell here with us from sugar crm we're talking about martech simplification before we get back into that, David, let's uh, dig into you a little bit. How did you get to where you're at today with Sugar CRM? Can you give us your kind of career path a little bit? Sure. Um, so the uh, first thing I guess one should know about me, I was born in Roswell, New Mexico, <laughs> which 
you know, if you know me, you go, oh, that explains a lot, actually. <laughs> um, um, when I graduated from school, uh, I graduated a software engineer. So I was total, right, totally deep into the technology. Uh, and I did that, but I was always the guy asking questions of the product manager, like, how do you know that they'll pay for that feature? And how do you know that uh, you'll get that much money? And how do you know that that's really a good target for us? And that's when somebody said, yeah, this was, guy shouldn't just be writing code. He needs to be in management. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what happened. I was mainly just curious because I wanted to know, but, but um, you know, it was the right set of questions. So I, you know, I, I brought, got into product management and this was 20 years ago. Uh, and I've been doing product management or product marketing ever since and kind of, kind of split between those two career paths, but, but mainly focused in technology uh, and a little bit of, of, of telecom, um, but primarily software and technology. Uh, and I got to sugar because um, one of the things I got pretty good at was installing or greatly improving uh, product marketing. So most companies, they get to about the, I don't know, 50 to 150 million in annual revenue, software companies, anyway. they get up, up to that size and then they realize they either need product marketing because they haven't had it before, or they are seriously outgrown the product marketing capabilities that they have. And so I kind of made a specialty out of installing for that next level of growth to get them uh, you know, to the 250 or $500 million range. Uh, and so that's kind of where I've made my, my uh, bread and butter. Excellent. You're pretty, I mean, I love the, the product marketing area. When you have marketing, you have product. And I, I don't know how long that's been a fused title, but um, <laughs> it's one of my favorite titles, the marketing people that actually think about the product and not just about what's the catchphrase that can get us to sell a couple more widgets or something like that. But let's actually, I feel like it makes for a better customer. I mean, your customer experience, you talk about a lot. That's what it's all about. It's saying, let's not just, let's like make a better customer experience and then market that. Um, so, so I love it. You're pretty new there at Sugar. I am. I've been there just over two years. Um, I, I had spent a lot of time uh, with a company called Avalara. They're in the tax automation business. And then with another company called AvExchange, they're, they're a fintech company. Um, Sugar really appealed to me for a couple of different reasons. You know, one was they are competing in a very, very competitive marketplace against, candidly, much bigger competitors. And that means that the, what you do has to rely on your ability to be uh, agile, adaptable, you know, and faster moving than your opponent, because you're not going to, you're not going to beat them in the submission. You've just got to be faster. But I guess it's, um, it's almost, it seems more fun when your job is to try to eat someone else's lunch, not just protect your own lunch. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. That, that is definitely part of the uh, attraction for me. Fantastic. And uh, obviously we're all working from home or a lot of us are working from home now. It's a big thing for marketing. Um, how much of your team, your people in, in your marketing department, do you think will continue to work from home? Uh, I predict most of them. Um, our, co our company really didn't miss any kind of, we, we never skipped a beat. We, we just kept right on moving uh, everything. There were no projects that really slowed down uh, significantly that we didn't just pick right back up. It, it's for us, I think it was a reflection of our culture. We're, we're very much a, uh, an achievement-based culture, not a, an attendance-based culture, if you will. Nice. And, yeah. and so, yeah, so I, I think, I actually don't think it'll change much for us because we, we've, we've proven ourselves pretty well during the pandemic. And I guess just a MarTech in general, as far as industries go, is probably one of the best prepared for work from home since it's it's kind of the idea of most MarTechs is it, it's all cloud-based. It can be done anywhere. So you already have that culture. It's natural to the company. Yeah. Yeah. If we didn't, if we didn't handle that transition, well, it would be a sad statement, really. <laughs> yep. Okay. Excellent. Let's get back to, um, oh, you know what? Let's touch on sugar. We've, we've been talking about sugar a bit, but in general, and, and we'll mention sugar a little more at the end as well. And, and anything particular you want to put out there for the listeners, um, but we've been getting into very specific things with the MarTech simplification aspects of sugar 
Anything else about sugar as a CRM? You have CRM right there in the name, but what else should people know about sugar CRM? Right. So, you know, we kind of made, we kind of made our reputation in, in two ways. Initially, it was about being an open source alternative to other CRM products on the market. Other unmentioned, we'll have a bleep here, bleep CRMs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've been out of the open source world for quite a while. Um, so what we've really been focusing on really is um, taking the pain out of, out of CRM. If, if we talk with a lot of customers who, who their, their whole frustration is how much care and feeding the system takes. Um, it's like constantly having to put information in it and constantly having to care for that information or having to adapt the way that they do business in order to, um, because the, the CRM won't follow them or grow with them or, or extend the way they need it to. So we really focused our platform on one being very adaptable. And that was kind of easy because because it's open source world, you kind of already have to be that way. Um, as well as like kind of looking at some of the tedious aspects like data entry and things like that and looking at every place where we could where we could automate the collection of data or the processing of it. And then most importantly, like, taking that data and then presenting it back to users in context with what they're doing at, at any given time. So giving the salespeople the right information about a customer that they need while they're engaging with that customer on the phone or over the web. Right, reducing a lot of it seems like friction, like reduce the friction, reduce the friction, both with the internally with yourself having to deal with this thing and then with your customer as well. It's just exactly. all, how can you make things smoother, more natural and still have all this this power that it, that it creates. Um, okay. Excellent. I want to get back. We're, we're getting short on time, but I have a couple more things I wanted to get to, to get mm -hmm. your insights on some stuff here. Uh, looking into the future. Now you, you mentioned already one time, the deep research you guys are doing in this one area, but what do you think is coming in the simplification area in general? If you had to put on your sci-fi hat and jump like 50 years into the future, um, what do you think is coming up in the future with MarTech, simplification and CRMs? Well, there's going to have to be a big reconciliation of the technology. I mean, that, that kind of condition that we're in now with this many vendors, it can't last forever. Um, plus, you know, as you were pointing out before, you've got all these little point solutions that solve very specific problems that probably should be wrapped into core systems, right? It should probably be a function of those core systems to solve those problems. But as long as they integrate... I would say the problem is when it wraps into the core system, eventually you consolidate down to one and now you have no more innovation because there's no competition. So when I see things like you guys allow things to integrate, that creates the innovation without you having to actually do it yourselves. You get to kind of outsource it, still do be the foundation. Um, I think over consolidation destroys the competition. I mean, if, if CRM is reduced down to a Facebook situation, where it's basically you have this one thing you can go to and then there's no other options. Now it's sole focus just becomes profit. How can we extract the most money out of people? And there's no innovation. So I kind of like the large MarTech feel. I like the competition. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I think it's a balancing act, right? I mean, the what you say is 100% correct. And um, I think the other aspect that you have to wonder about is, you know, customers also, because of that situation, they have to deal with, you know, getting nickel and dime to death because there's so many things to pay for. They have to then have the vendor management overhead of all the different companies and products that they have to deal with, with the IT overhead. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that that in any way, like, invalidates anything you said. I'm just saying that there's probably a happy balance somewhere where you have a good, healthy, competitive market with enough things that make ecosystems actually easier to deal with and less expensive. And at the same time, the big player is always going to be looking to squeeze out all the little things feeding off it. Uh, we had an example the other day with Amazon talking about big tech and privacy and how yeah, they have a marketplace everybody sells in, but they also sell there. And apparently, since they can see all the data, they like to find sellers that are doing particularly well and then step on them a little bit. Say, well, let's mm -hmm. sell our version of that product to their same people 
because they're making too much profit in our open marketplace. Um, so it seems even with the marketplace, companies tend to still want to maximize the profits a lot there. Would you guys consider a model where you talk about the nickel and diming to death, where the the vendors, the other products that integrate with you are rolled into your product and the customer doesn't pay for them separately, but pays for your product and they get they get paid out as sub-entities of you almost. Yeah, in fact, we do that for some of the uh, technology that we we go to market with. Some some of the components of, of our technology are actually from other vendors. They're, they're white labeled or we act as their exclusive distribution channel and it works exactly the way you described. See, this is where me doing no prep really pays off. I had no idea. I assumed I just thought of that and you're like, nope, we, we already do that. That's awesome. Good. Well, that seems like to kind of solve like that to, problem a little bit. I would like to scale that up. I would like to do that more than we, I mean, we're, we do it today. Uh, I think we have the opportunity to take more advantage of that and create a better experience for our customers by embracing that more. Right. It's almost saying it's like a cruise ship. You're saying, yes, you just pay one. Maybe a cruise ship is a terrible analogy. I'm not even going to come up with an analogy. It's a good thing. I love it. That's good. Um, okay. So uh, tech stack, can you give like a favorite tech stack, obviously, or I don't know, probably, hopefully for your job, you're going to start with Sugar CRM. What do you like to build on that? Well, our, the, the whole thing we, we say about our platform is that, it, you know, no, no roadblocks, no blind spots, no busy work. So um, part of the thing, that, and this goes to something you were saying earlier, was the no blind, roadblocks aspect. You know, I think over the last year, I mean, who could have predicted two years ago that the world would be in its current state, right? We are in the midst of a rapidly changing world and we're coming out of this pandemic economy, but some of the changes that that brought are permanent. And then some of the changes haven't even been realized yet. And some so, are, I mean, some of these are evolutionary jumps that couldn't have happened without this type of a, uh you have a disaster and it creates an evolutionary jump you'd never have otherwise. 100% sky. That absolutely right. Or or may have taken 50 years to get there and suddenly we can all work from home. Managers would not <laughs> allow this for 90% of businesses before and now it's just like I guess we're doing it. Exactly. So for me, I I look at technology and I, I look at the state that we're in and not seeing exactly what the end game is. I, I look at it and it, I'm like, the technologies that are going to be successful are the ones that are highly adaptable. So they can be modified, they can be extended, and to your earlier point, they can be integrated, right? Those are the ones, because those are the ones that are going to be uh, able to be applied to a changing world, uh, no matter what it, what it throws at them. I would say, so what you guys are doing with your marketplace, having a marketplace that feeds your product allows you to have that. Like, you don't have to be... A large company like Sugar is not very nimble, but you can have this marketplace that is of outside companies. You have these feeder leagues kind mm -hmm. of, and then like you said, it's this big ocean, but you have these feeder and you guys can go and you see one that really should be integrated. You can buy it and merge it or they can. So I, I love that setup and I would encourage all companies not to completely consolidate, but to have a marketplace because if nothing else, it's an amazing pool of R&D that you could never build in-house. You could never get yep. a thousand college students writing code all night for just legally, you could not do that. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's literally a test bed for innovation uh, and, and it's self-sustaining. You know, you're, you're creating an environment where other people can make money off of your ecosystem, which then props you up. It, it's, it's very, very, uh, it's, it's very symbiotic. It's a great model. I would say it's one of the things that defines foundational MarTechs like you guys. If are, Is your MarTech foundational? I don't know. Do you have a marketplace that other MarTechs are created for? If you do, then you're probably a foundational MarTech. <laughs> um, so one last question here. Um, what should marketers look out for in this consolidation? What should they be worried about? Well, I, to me, it always goes back to avoid the science project. You know, a lot of technology is very much a build your own adventure. We'll sell you the platform and you figure out how to best apply it. Uh, and that's fine if you're like a large, really mature company with a well-defined strategy and vision and all that. Most companies aren't. <laughs> um, 
if, if you're not, you need technology really that, that can provide value quickly, that solves problems, to your earlier point, really, that solves very specific problems very definitively um, and decisively. Um, because you don't really have a lot of money to waste on these things. And then, and then build out build out infrastructures that integrate those pieces. So it's a, it sounds like you're saying, uh, don't invest in someone else's R&D, uh, kind of. <laughs> don't yeah. be their, their experiment on, uh, on something and trying to learn it for yourself. Yeah, don't be the blood on the bleeding edge. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that before. That's great. Um, I think I had a quote written down here. That might be the, the new one for the episode. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. This is uh, this has been awesome. I, re- I really want to thank you for uh, for coming on, David. Again, David Campbell here has uh, joined us from Sugar CRM. He's the VP of Product Marketing. And uh, you guys want to find out more about David? You can go uh, visit Sugar CRM to see you know Sugar CRM, and then uh, check him out on LinkedIn. We'll have all this in the show notes. Um, I'll have a, a link there also to the, if anybody's curious about the marketing technology landscape that Chief Martech puts out, you should definitely bookmark that page. And then Sugar, I think you guys have a couple specific things that you want to, uh, you want to put out here, David, do uh, you want to, you want to throw those out? Sure. So the first one is our online customer experience assessment, which is really, it's, it's a simple survey that, that basically, um, ask you a number of questions about people, process, and technology, and kind of tells you without any obligation, you know, kind of where you, where you stand, what, what you're really good at, where the are, are opportunities for improvement. Uh, and then we have a number of different resources to help you. So if, if you know you need improvement in the way that you run your customer service organization and the processes you use, we have a, a lot of different content that has like chock full of ideas for improvement in, in those kinds of areas. The second one is our marketing automation guide, um, which really talks about navigating uh, marketing automation, the pitfalls, the things you should be looking for, the things uh, that you wanna be aware of so you don't paint yourself in the corner. All right, the pitfalls, that's the biggest one people probably need to pay attention to. It makes me think of like Princess Bride. It's like, okay, we're going into this, <laughs> deadly force there's just three things we need to watch out for if you can learn what those are ahead of time you have a much better chance of uh of succeeding so i'd say check out that marketing automation guide if nothing else just for the pitfalls to uh <laughs> avoid dying in the uh, somebody's gonna tweet me hatefully for not remembering what the force was called but uh yes uh, check out those uh those pitfalls fantastic again the show notes here can be found on if you um Please uh, share us on social media. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe. Give us a great review. Again, go check out Sugar CRM and uh, reach out to uh, to David uh, David Campbell of Sugar CRM. Where's the best place? I mean, is LinkedIn a good place for people if they have any questions for you, that kind of thing? Uh, that That's a good place. Uh, you know what, though? I'm going to just give you my email. It's, it's, Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I don't mind. So it's dcampbell, D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L at sugarcrm.com. I thought it was, you were going to say at aol.com. And you're like, that's the one I'm giving you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm taking a chance here. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, again, uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and David Campbell of Sugar CRM, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with uh, marketing simplification, I, I've got to have a better one than that. If you market the shit out of it with Sugar CRM, we'll just throw that in there. They will come. All right. Thank you so much, Scott. Are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000 
like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.